Amen. Glory. Isn't that a wonderful song? They did a great job on it. Bless the worship team this morning. Thank you. Amen. It's so good to see Jimmy back in the house of the Lord. Jimmy, come tell them what happened to you, man. This guy shouldn't even be here by uh, medical science. Tell them what happened a couple weeks ago. Put you on the spot. He didn't know it. Well, first of all, I fell, and second of all, I had to get up. <laughs> but I had to keep walking. My wife said this morning, you're going to church? I said, i got to keep walking. And uh, he, he fell 30 feet, 30 feet. I remember when you was, uh, you was out for a time, and you needed some encouragement, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah encouragement goes a long way, don't it? it, does, it does. I love you, Pastor. I love you. And we're so thankful for that. I mean, just God's hand was on Jimmy, even the, the uh, neurologist, all the people over at uh, Thomasville where he was at the hospital in Archibald. They said he sh they couldn't believe his chart could again. They, they said he shouldn't be here. Fell 30 feet. Yeah, he shouldn't be here. But how many knows we serve a God? Amen. Amen. Turn around, shake somebody's hand, smile at them before I even read the scriptures. We ain't got to do it the same way every Sunday, do we? Let's read. Uh, I said shake hands and y'all went to visiting. I love that. Love it. Today, the title is Through Eyes of Grace. Uh, how about let's talk about grace one time around here. Y'all want to try it? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. I'm going to read it in the New King James Version, and then uh, after we pray then and let you be seated, we'll read it also in the message translation. But it says in verse 16, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Now that word no one in the Greek means no one. Okay? No one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is, not going to be, but he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have, not will, have become new. Father, we love you that you have made us new creations in you. Our confidence is not in what we can see, but in that that we cannot see. Our confidence is in the power of the gospel of grace, the transforming power of a renewed mind believing you, believing your word, believing the vision that you carry in your heart for each of us. We praise you for that in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Everybody said. Amen. You may be seated. I love this message translation of these two verses. Uh, I don't know if I can get it up that quick, but they probably can. Uh, look, man, they're fast. Ask for it, you get it. Uh, listen, listen, listen to this. It says, because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. Wouldn't that be wonderful if we just did that part of the verse? If we didn't evaluate somebody by what they have or how they look, 
We looked at the Messiah that way once and got it all wrong, as you know. In other words, they looked at Jesus. They didn't perceive who he was. They didn't perceive him to be the Son of God or their Messiah. Remember, there's a verse that says he came to his own and his own received him not. But he said, we certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look inside. And what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start. Is created new. The old life is gone. A new life burgeons. Look at it. Isn't that awesome? Now, the title is Through Eyes of Grace. And a year or so ago, I, I preached on the eyes of grace, where it says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But that's not where I'm going today. Really just kind of one big idea, one thought that's been on my heart all week. And I don't know that it's so much as, you know, yes, it includes us looking at ourselves, but I don't know even today that there's more emphasis, at least in what I'm feeling in my heart, towards how we look at other people. And I'm not talking about people in your family only or people that you know or come in contact with uh, or people that come to Grace Point. But I'm talking about every person that you look at. Uh, and what seeing through eyes of grace allows us to do is to see others uh, and not only to see them the way God sees them, but to reveal that to them. In other words, to reveal the heart of God and this is the hard part, regardless of their present circumstances that we observe them in. But to be able to look at a person, and this is what the Bible calls in the spirit, looking at them in the spirit or looking at the inside. Because, see, if your eyes are unredeemed, in other words, especially if you're, you're not born again, but even if you're born again and all you're going by is what you can see with the natural, you remember that's why the apostle Paul told him, he said, while we look steadfast at that that we cannot see. Because he said everything that you can see is passing away, but that that you can't see with the natural eyes is what he was saying. That's eternal. Because everything that you can see was made out of that that you can't see. Right? In other words, before there was visible, there was that part that we didn't see. In other words, God spoke what we see into existence from what we don't see. Um, I'm not trying to make sense. I'm trying to make faith. <clears throat> Amen? So, but unredeemed eyes, all they can see... Uh, all we can see if we're looking through unredeemed lens or through natural eyes is all we see is stuff broken and messed up in this world, people broken and messed up. And, uh, but the eyes of grace see things, and it sees people the way that God sees them. And what it does is it allows us to begin to see beyond the natural, and we begin to trust in what we cannot see, and that is in the transforming power of grace when, when grace is, is uh, revealed to them. When grace, you know, the grace of God has appeared to all men. All men just hadn't seen it. And they sure all haven't heard of it. Anywhere you want to go in this world, after you leave here today, you'll, you'll, many of you probably go, as we do, to a restaurant somewhere to have lunch. And in that restaurant, you'll be surrounded by people that are negative. There, there will be fear, doubt, anxiety, and negativity everywhere you go. Any place you go, when you go to work Monday morning or whenever you get, go out in this world, you're going to be surrounded by a negative atmosphere. There's negativity everywhere you go. And uh, for a believer, though, it says that we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Right? Remember that? 
And so in order to be in this world and not of this world requires us to see beyond what we can see in the natural and see in the spirit. And when you talk to people, when you talk to people, you, you've got to be sure that you're speaking to the right person. Now, how many knows the Bible is not for you trying to communicate with the dead? Now, of course, now you, your minds go to seances and stuff like that. But I want to tell you, a lot of Christians communicate to the dead daily. And the Bible actually warns not to try to communicate with dead people. But the dead person that I'm talking about that you communicate with is the old man, your old self. I just read for you where that old self passed away. So when you speak to a person in regard to their old life, to their old self, I'm talking about a person that's been born again, you're actually communicating with the dead. You're communicating with the dead. You're, now, there's a lot of Christians that's really confused about this. And, and I want to tell you, this right here, that part where Paul talked about it over and over, all through the New Testament, he emphasized it in Romans and Corinthians and Colossians. He said that we died with Christ. That He said we died with him, therefore we are raised with him. We're talking about in a couple of weeks having water baptism service here. And, and what you do in water baptism is you're actually, you're actually symbolizing and you are engaging yourself in that death. You're actually saying before God and everybody, I'm dead. The old me is dead. The old me got buried under the watery grave and a new person in Christ came up. Now, a lot of nations like China and some even some Islamic nations, they don't mind any of their kin people declaring with their mouth that they're followers of Jesus. They just throw him into pile with all the other gods. And a lot of them don't really have a big issue if they profess with their mouth faith in Christ. But if they go to get baptized... Many of them will enter, uh, issue a death sentence on them. Because the, even in their cultures, they know that faith without works is dead. But once you begin to put your faith into action, then that's when they got an issue with it. So they don't mind if they're in China saying, well, we follow Jesus, we study his teachings, we think he's a great teacher. Well, that's cool. But you go to get baptized, they cut you out of the family. In some Islamic, they'll put a death sentence on you. Why? Because you're doing more than talking now. You are proclaiming that you are a follower and you're putting your faith where your mouth is. Hello? So water baptism is a, is a, is a big issue. So one of the most profound revelations that a Christian can get is that revelation that, that, that's also found in Galatians 2.20. Paul told him, he said, I have been crucified with Christ. Now, when did you get crucified with Christ? You didn't get crucified whatever year that you put your faith in Christ. If it was 30 years ago, you didn't get crucified with Christ 30 years ago. When did you get crucified with Christ? 2,000 years ago when Christ died. In other words, then you died with Christ. Christ died for the sins of the world. Now, we'll talk about this in some Sundays, but today's not the day. I don't have the time. But this, you know, there's, 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 three, kind of, there's three kind of religions going around right now. There's universalism, there's inclusion, inclusionism, and then there's the gospel. And, um, and, and all you got to do to see that the reality of that is just get on Facebook a little bit and you'll see it. And the argument's really flying now. A lot of it's got to do with, with uh, 
you know, some people that are, you know, propagating that and saying, well, everybody's saved. And I mean, nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the New Testament particularly, did any apostle, Jesus himself, or any of his apostles ever look at somebody and say, don't worry about it, you're already saved. just need to believe it. <laughs> Never did he do that. The Bible always identifies people that are in Christ and those that are in Adam. In Christ, they all, how do you get in Christ? Putting your faith and trust in Jesus. How do you get in Adam? Being born. How do you get in Christ? Be born again. How do you get? The, the Bible says to as many as received him. To them. To, who's them? Them that receive him. To them he gave the power, the exousia, the Greek is the authority to be sons and daughters of God. But you have to believe in him. The whole purpose of the gospel is to preach. The only reason we're here, listen, if, every, you know, if, if everybody's automatically already been forgiven and saved, and everybody's been forgiven, but they hadn't received that forgiveness. They've not received the benefit of that Christ dying once and for all. Yeah, he did die once and for all. It's not his will that any should perish, but all should come unto repentance. And repentance doesn't mean crying and telling God you're sorry for your sins. He's already handled your sin problem. It means repentance means to think differently. That's what the Greek word means, metanoia, think differently. God wants you to think differently about him, yourself, and your sin. And put your faith that he paid the price in full. And that you are absolutely forgiven. And you put your faith and trust in that forgiveness and in him. Amen? I can even tell with some of them, that's, that's new news right there. Amen. Woo. When you get this revelation that I died with Christ, you know that person that you hate? You know that old you? It's on the cross with Christ, in Christ. And uh, I, I want to tell you, if the average believer could just grasp this truth and get a hold of it that I died then in most churches half of the programs that they have going would end immediately because over half in the average church in America over half of the programs is meant to minister to the old man they're ministering to the dead well that would go down like a rat sandwich on Facebook but if we really grasp that we died, then we would stop trying to minister to the old man because we would recognize and preach and declare that the old man is dead, that he no longer lives. And instead of coming together to work on the old man, our flesh, or improve our old man, give him a paint job and make him you know, be better, then we would be free to go tell everybody, everybody that the one uh, who offers life has come and his name is Jesus and you put your faith in him and in his death, burial, and resurrection you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Now, sadly though, since most Christians don't know that, that they've died, then they waste their lives trying to die. And they misconstrue scriptures and take them out of context and they do that because people like me, preachers, have maligned and maybe not intentionally but just messed up the gospel uh, they try to nail themselves to the cross do you know physically you couldn't nail yourself to the cross you would have to have help you might get one nail in one hand maybe even in the foot but that other one you're going to have to have some help with that 
You understand? You can't crucify yourself. Christ was crucified for you is my point. And so Jesus died once and for all, but they don't know that. So you know what they do? They try to die daily. That one's real popular in religious circles because it keeps you something busy to think about all day. You're always trying to do what Jesus already did. And it's wasting time and energy. And you won't succeed at it because Christ already finished it and you become very worn out. And you take, you know, die daily. <laughs> that Paul said, and it had nothing to do with dealing with your sins or anything like that. Uh, instead of doing what the Bible says, reckon yourself as dead to sin, then what you try to do is control the sin, throttle down the sin that's in your life. And I don't care whether you ignore the flesh or beat the flesh with a whip, it's still flesh work. And Jesus has already paid for all of it. Just something to think about. That's a good place to take a drink. <clears throat> I guess what just overwhelmed my heart this week again it's one of my most favorite things to talk about. Uh, it's just how God is, how our Father really is. I, I don't know if you've ever met him, but he is the kindest, nicest, most positive person you'll ever talk to. He's never depressed. He's always available. And he never changes. He's always the same. And he'll always treat you the same. I don't care what the preacher told you God's never angry at you even when you're sin because what can he be angry about that he already forgave you about I thought you said that your Bible reads love keeps no record of wrong and God is love and when you realize that your sin account has a zero balance it changes how you approach God now God doesn't encourage sin he's not for sin neither am I and the message of grace does not encourage people to sin all willy-nilly like we get accused of all the time. It actually causes people to live who they really are, and that's out of the revelation of the righteousness of God that's been gifted to them in Christ Jesus. And you don't live like a hypocrite. You don't say, I'm a new creation, righteous and forgiven, and then live like a sinner. Because that's, that's hypocrisy. You're not being true to yourself. That's not who you are. And that's why when you, as a Christian, do sin, it feels kind of, you know, bad because you're not being true to yourself and who you really are. You're faking it by sinning. And you're not good at it anymore. You used to be good at sin, but now you stink at it. You're still capable of doing it, but you are incapable of enjoying it when you do it. <laughs> oh, man, I'm preaching this. Marting. <laughs> uh, Jeremiah 15, 19 is one of my fav favorite verses even in the old covenant he's telling Jeremiah, this great prophet preacher he says if you really want to be my spokesman he says you want to be my mouthpiece then you will, uh, you will take out the precious from the vial you will extract the precious out of the vial uh, when you do that God said you're being my spokesman because that's how I am so if you're going to speak on my behalf, that's what you'll do. When you speak to someone, you won't be a news reporter just, you know, echoing what you see, their sin. Listen, you don't need to yell at any sinner and tell them they're a sinner because they already know it. 
When I was a sinner, I didn't need anybody affirming that I was a sinner. I was good at it. I already knew I was. And if you mess with me, I would display some of that sin on you. The problem is not that they don't know that they're a sinner. The problem is they don't know that in the Savior they've been forgiven. While we were yet in sin, Christ died. What did he die for? To forgive sin. I love this about God. It's the way he is. He always extracts the precious from the vile. And uh, in other words, he's, he can look at any person and, and, and he will call to that that's precious on the inside of them. Now, this is how he is. Go to Judges chapter 6, verse 12. I know this is pretty familiar uh, passage to a lot of Christians. But this is really displays how God really, this is how he is. He's not faking anything. This is how he is. So we got this guy Gideon. Y'all remember him? So Gideon is hiding because of fear from the enemy in a cave. And uh, the angel of the Lord, and when this guy, and the angel, that's capital A, by the way, the angel, that, that, is, that is none other than God himself, Jesus, the Christ. He made many trips to this world before Bethlehem. And when you, how do you know that between Jesus, the angel of the Lord, and an angel of the Lord is the angel will receive worship and adoration. No other angel will. And in this scenario, he's going to receive worship. No angel would do that. So just a little side note there. Don't miss that. So this is Christ. This is a, this is a pre-incarnation appearance. And he appears to Gideon. And when he appears to him, he, this is Jesus. He knows he's hiding for fear. And he says to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. He calls him a hero in one translation. He said, you're a mighty hero. You're a mighty man of valor. And he says, the Lord's with you. And Gideon said to him, oh, my Lord. <laughs> That's what you say when the alarm clock goes off in the morning, right? Oh, my Lord. If the, if, if the Lord is with us, why, everybody say why, has all this happened to us? And where are all these miracles we've heard about? All right. A why question, I've told you this before, a why, don't ever ask a why question because why questions do not get answered in the earth because they're victim questions. And if God lowered himself, which he can't, to answer that question, he would be lowering himself to, to agree with your victim mentality. So why questions never get answered in earth. Never ask why. The one, some of the best questions I ask, you can ask God a lot of questions. I mean, you can ask him why. He's just not going to answer it. He's not going to be mad at you. He's not going to answer it, though. And he doesn't answer it here, even in the Old Covenant. He doesn't answer it. He says why and where. And then what he does in the, in the end of verse 13, he says he accuses God. He says, you have forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Ouch. He's attacking God. He accuses him, tries him, convicts him, and accuses him right there. And then look in verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him. Now you're thinking here, oh, man, you just got through accusing God to the face, man. He's been tear your head off. That's how some of y'all think God is. See, like if we were sitting in a room, I had sitting with three or four people, and one of those persons accused me of something that wasn't true, and I'm looking over this way, then I turn to that person to address that accusation. Now, I'm probably going to tear your head off. No, I'm <laughs> what does God do? The Lord turned to him and said, 
He doesn't answer any of that. Remember why, where? No response from God on that. What does he do say to him? Go in this might of yours. God just affirms that he's mighty again because he didn't get it the first time. God says, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? In other words, I, if I sent you, you win. Automatically, you win. So he said to him, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Now he starts giving him all the excuses why he can't do it. Indeed, my clan is the weakest. My checkbook is the lowest. I've got, I can't do it. I can't go to this. I can't go on this mission trip. I don't have any money. I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't preach the gospel. I get nervous and standing in front of people. I can't witness. I can't do this job. I don't have enough education. I can't, I can't, I can't. God doesn't listen to any of that. He says, my clan is the weakest. I am not only in the weakest clan, Manasseh, but I am the least in my father's house. So you got the wrong guy. And the Lord says to him, well, I'm sorry, I didn't realize who I was talking to. I must have, you know, pulled up the wrong file. Well, peace out, bro. I'll catch you later, man. You know, I hope you, you know, work out all that out. No, God doesn't say that. He says, surely I will be with you. When? When you take that step of faith and head toward the Midianites. And you shall defeat them as if they were just one person. God said, you're going to whoop them like they ain't but one person. And, and there's thousands of them, but when you fight them, it's going to be like if it was just one guy. This is going to be an easy fight because I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm in you. Come on. That's what the New Testament grace is. And then I put these other two verses in here because not in the Bible. I didn't actually put them in the Bible, but I put them in my notes because they're so cool. He says, then he said to him, if, he's still doing the if word, if now I have found favor in your sight, then here, you know, he wants a sign. That'd be like when I was little, you know, my dad, you know, say, take out the garbage, Dale. Dad, give me a sign that it's really you speaking to me to take out the garbage. And then he would put some sign on my leg, and then I would know it was him to take out the garbage. No, God's not like that. He says, give me a sign that I, that I know it's you who talk with me. <laughs> I love God, man. You think God just, you want to talk about some patience now and love. This is who God really is. And so even after all of that and everything, he, he still, don't, and then verse 18, this is what he says to him. Don't depart from here. I pray until I come to you and I got, I got to bring my praise tape. And I got to do some worship. And I got to do the church. I got to have, we got to do church. Now, don't leave, God, until I set out my offering and set it before you. And this, look what God says. And he said, I will wait until you come back. Man, when I read that this week, my eyes filled with tears. Because that's how my father is. And let me tell you what he's saying to a lot of you. Because you've run away from him. But he says, I will wait <laughs> till you come back. I, when you come back, and you will, I'm going to be waiting on you. I'm going to wait right here until you come back. I don't care how far you go and how long you away. I will wait until you come back. 
because that's who he is. That's who he is. Man, I don't know if that registers with you. That pierces my heart. I'll wait till you come back. You know why? Because this is what grace does. Grace challenges us to not to see people after the flesh, not to see them in their circumstances, in their mess. Uh, a real familiar example is First Samuel 16, verse 6 and 7. I'm just going to read two verses. Now, just about everybody that's ever even heard about Bible stuff has heard about David being anointed king and kind of what went down. But I want you to see, we know the story. We know that, that Jesse, David's dad, didn't even call him to the meeting when the great prophet Samuel said he was coming to anoint the next king of Israel and that the next king of Israel would be one of Jesse's sons. So Jesse assembled all of his sons but one, and that was David. And David's keeping the flock out in the field. It's not even a consideration. Uh, he's the youngest. And so, verse 6, the prophet is there. Jesse has all his sons lined up. And in verse 6, even the great prophet Samuel kind of gets messed up here. And so it was when they came that he looked at Elab and said, Surely, this is Samuel talking now, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. He looks at him. This guy looks like a king. He's got the height, he's got the look, he's got the granite chin. I mean, he's got the piercing eyes, they're spaced just right. I mean, this guy looks like a king. And the great prophet said, by looking at this guy in the natural, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have refused him. Now, he didn't say that I've refused him as a person, you know, into my kingdom, but he has refused him as the king. Don't, don't misread that. For the Lord, the Lord, does not see as a man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. In other words, the spirit. Okay? So if you're going to see people like God sees them, you cannot look at their height, their statue, their appearance, what type of clothes, all that kind of stuff. You have to look beyond that into the spirit. And so, listen, when God looked at David, he saw a king. But no one else saw royalty when they looked at David. Not even David's own brothers, nor his own father, nor mother saw royalty when they looked at David. And, of course, the prophet goes down the line with all those sons, and the Lord rejects all of them. And he says, surely is there not one? Do you have any more kids? He said, I got one guy. You know, he's just out keeping the flock. You know, he, uh, Samuel says, go get him. We're not even going to sit down until he gets here. We're going to stand. That's how important this is. We're going to stand. So they go get David, and then, of course, you know the story. He anoints David as king. But my point is this. What does God see when God looks at you? I mean, really, now, come on, no joking around. I'm just trying to take my time with this message and just let this go in. When God looks at you, really now, what does he see? I, I, I don't care what other people see or don't see as far as looking at the outward. Look at the house you live in, the car you drive, the clothes you wear, what they perceive you have or don't have. But I mean for real, when, when God looks at you, does he see a king in you? 
see right now some of your minds are you're, you're wrestling with that even that phrase I just said because and I know some of you know the New Testament but you know that the Bible says when you're born again you are now both kings and priests before the Lord and you are also that third you are prophetic people a prophetic nation the Bible says out of all the gifts of the spirit the only one that we may all do is prophesy now I know that freaks out a lot of people and it scares some people and their whole denominations and sections of the you know the church that you don't even believe in that and don't even practice it for sure and hey as being a prophetic person and I'm not a prophet but being a person who has prophesied on behalf of the Lord and whatever but I can see, and I've seen a lot that was not prophetic, but was pathetic. Pathetic. You understand what I mean by that? And uh, people make mistakes. But let me say, people also make mistakes in their pastoral gifting and in their theological, uh, theological understanding of the Bible. And we don't really want to kill those guys. But you make a state, mistake prophesying over somebody, they want to kill you. Uh, it, it's very beneficial to the church. And the, and the base understanding of New Testament prophecy, according to the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, is this is the three things that, that prophecy does that we can all do. And you hear me talk about it often. It says, when you prophesy, you speak to the, the person, you speak to build them up, to comfort them, and third, to encourage them. The King James used exhort, edify, comfort. In other words, you, when you speak a word to them, Everything you're saying is to build them up, not flatter, build them up to bring comfort to them because they may be going through something where they need comfort and to, to, to uh, encourage. Encourage means that you put courage in them. You put encourage, you put courage in them by the words that you say to them. So those are the three things. Now, those of you that think New Testament prophecy is you know, I see your sin, uh, you, need, you need to stop doing that, you know, uh, the, the Lord's not going to give you but one more chance, or all, all that uh, bull. And I don't mean this mean, and, but my elder, I mean, there's a person that I've had here because someone that no longer comes here encouraged me to have this prophet, and I'm not saying not a prophet. I mean, people make mistakes, but you're just not going to do them on my people on Sunday morning repeatedly. Because I'm still a shepherd. I'm going to stand before God and, you know, answer for how I lead this church and mainly how I protect this flock as much as is possible and within my power. So in other words, I'm not going to allow false heresy and doctrine or, or you to be mis, uh, you know, treated or abused. No more than I'd allow somebody to come in my own home and mistreat my wife or children or grandbabies. Okay? And I've seen a lot of people, you know, beat up in church. You won't ever be beat up at Grace Point if I got anything to do with it. And, I'm, and, and, and we're not a church that flatters you. We're just a church that tells you the truth. We're, we're not here to end the flattery. That's deception. But we're to hear, but we, we don't speak to dead people here. We speak to the new identity that you have in Christ. We speak to the new creation that you are, and we call that forth. Um, if, if you want to tweetable term, <laughs> phrase. I thought when I wrote this down that it was tweetable. We must call people out to their new identity instead of calling them 
Well, let me say it this way. We must call people up to their new identity instead of calling them out on their behavior. Yes, I heard you. I'll say it again. We must call people up to their new identity in Christ instead of calling them out on their behavior. What you speak to will, will, will what will rise up in a person. So whatever you address in a person, that that you address, that will rise up. Now, this is how God is. This is how Jesus is. Jesus would buy a whole field of dirt just to get one pearl. And he said, I see the dirt. I'm not stupid. But I'll buy all this dirt, and I'll put up with all this dirt for that pearl that's buried in this dirt. I wish I you? That's how God sees you. All we see is the dirt. He get what for this field? I wouldn't have give. I wouldn't have give half that. I know you wouldn't, because you ain't Jesus. You're not the Savior. But Jesus is able to look beyond the dirt, beyond the sin, beyond your circumstances, beyond your addiction, beyond what you're struggling with, beyond all of that, and he he looks to that that's on the inside of you. Now, a lot of times you're you're born again, because that's the reason you're hanging around this stuff. You, you, I mean, why why are you here? If the devil knew you was lost and, and, and yet you thought you was, then he would just leave you alone. But the fact that you war and wrestle and am I saved, am I not saved, that's just proof that you are. When you do sin and it, and it breaks your heart or you struggle with it or it don't feel good, that's proof that you're born again. you got a new creation. You don't have two natures. you got one nature. You've been joined with Christ. That's, why it's, that's where the struggle is. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm in a struggle with my faith. You're in a struggle with what? Your faith, man. You're in a struggle with your faith. You got faith. <laughs> when I was a sinner before I got born again, I didn't struggle with sin. I didn't struggle with it. That's why I never understood these crazy people. Like, man, you got to be afraid of the Spirit and all that. I mean, you yield yourself. I mean, you could be, you know, you got to be speaking in tongues and all, man. You got to be careful. I mean, why didn't I ever speak in tongues in the bar when I was like four sheets in the wind, you know? Now, I know you look at me like I was always born saved, but I wasn't, you know. And so I'm going to tell you, I was participating and yielded to the enemy. But I never sat on the bar stool, you know, couldn't see straight and go, you know, shikamo shunda. You know, start speaking in tongues. Why didn't I? If it's of the devil. I mean, why didn't I get that part of it? If it I mean, no, it's ridiculous. The enemy, if he can't stop you, he's always trying to counterfeit and camouflage that thing that would benefit you the most in the spirit. And so here, here you've got to see what God sees in people. And so uh, Eli is a, is a priest, a priest by God, called by God. He, he makes a mistake when he looks at a person. And he does this in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 12. Uh, there's a woman, and you know this story. Her name's Hannah. She's barren. She can't have any children as far as, you know, and so she's beseeching God um, for, for a child. Now, what it says here in verse 12, and it happened as she continued praying before the Lord. Now, look at this. That Eli did what? Now, all you people want to be prophetic, you've got to stop looking for clues. That's why there's a lot of, the prophetic should be a lot further along in the New Testament church in America than it is. But so many of us have seen so much that is pathetic that you just go, well, it ain't worth the risk. 
There's too many parking lot prophecies. Too many people meet somebody at the car door and tell them God's going to get them if they don't do this or don't do that stuff, and that's just not God. I, t- I mean, I had, a, I had a guy in here one time, you know, since I've been pastoring here. You know, I mean, God bless you. I don't hate the guy, but I just can't, you, you, I just can't afford the risk to my people to let you come back. Because you stood up in here and you said that, you know, you was preaching somewhere and, and you looked out and you saw a guy that was committing adultery. And so you publicly called him out on that sin in front of that whole congregation and rebuked him publicly for his sin, which I knew was a lie when I heard it. In other words, I knew the guy was lying when I heard it. I don't know. He'd just been around religion too much. But when he did that, a bunch of y'all clapped and laughed. And I'm on the front row about to cry. And if that wasn't bad enough, then he said, he, you know, a year later he went to another city and he saw the same guy again in another church or congregation and he was still committing adultery and he called him out a second time and rebuked him publicly in that congregation. And then a bunch of folk in here really cheered and laughed that second, the second time. And I knew then, get through with this one, dude. <laughs> this will be your last one here. I, I can't have you back because you're going against the Bible. Because if the New Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and many other places says that God doesn't, God was in Christ reconciling the sin of the world unto himself, not imputing, not counting men's trespasses against them. So you're te- the Bible says God don't count their sin against them, but yet you're turning around and saying us that he does. And you're his spokesman, so you're reminding that dude of what God's already forgiven him of because God hadn't forgiven him, but he's forgiven, but he's not really forgiven. And so God's rebuking him for what he don't remember anymore. And that's where you get into all that crazy mess like the Holy Spirit convicted me of my sins. How can the Holy Spirit, who is God, convict you of what he don't remember no more? See how that didn't even, I didn't even get applause on that, Keith. I just, just kind of died right there in the air. Because you've heard that and you think that that's what happened. You think it's the Holy Spirit convicting you of your sin. No, it's your own conscience grieving you. You've got to understand the difference. The Holy Spirit's God. God can't convict you of what he doesn't remember. You can't charge but one person with the crime. You've got to make up who you're going to charge. Either this guy did the murder or this guy, but you can't charge both of them for the one crime. So if Christ became sin, and not just yours, but the sin of the world, and he bore that sin, and he bore the punishment of that sin, then God can't be punishing you for the sin that Christ bore on your behalf because that would be punishing two different people for the same sin. They won't even do that in the courts in Valdosta. God won't do it in the courts of heaven because Jesus paid it all. And that includes yours. Well, what about the ones I hadn't done yet? That includes that. Sin, noun, not sin's verb. Him who knew no sin noun, became sin, noun, so that we might become the righteous of God in Christ. <laughs> See, if you're kind of new to the grace message, all that right there just kind of freaks you out right there, that little section. But it's the truth. It's the truth. I don't believe in future forgiveness of sin. Well, you lost sin. Because all your sins were future when Jesus died. better pray to God he got future sin forgiveness or we all lost in him and we waiting on the second coming of the Messiah to get crucified again to pay for our sins that he didn't pay for when he was on the cross the first time you see how stupid religion is it don't even make no sense when you hear it out loud and somebody's dumb enough like me to say it it's 
ridiculous. Jesus paid for it all. Amen? And so what it does here, we look at Eli. He's watching her mouth. He's looking for clues. And so now Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was what? Drunk. Then Eli said to her, now here he comes with, here he comes with her prophecy. Okay, here he comes. This is the high priest now. So he walks up to her. How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. He, he does that publicly. He calls her out publicly. People heard that. And Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord. You missed it, Naomi. She said, no, my Lord. I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. We don't read the rest of it. But then he says, well, go and, you know, be blessed of the Lord. Wasn't that a good service to go to? In other words, that guy that even in here preached that God, that God used him to publicly call out his sin because he's a prophet, you know, it didn't work by his own testimony because he rebuked him in the first city and there was no change into the second city. And you don't think the guy knew he was committing adultery? I'm just going to let y'all kind of think on that one right there. Do you not think that the guy in himself knew that he was committing adultery? So why would you need to tell him he's committing adultery? I don't need you to prophesy to me my address. I know where I live and where my mail comes. If I told y'all all that I really know, you would never believe in prophetic people again. But in spite of all that, prophecy is beneficial. It is needful. And what I'm talking about, I'm not even talking about it under the guise of, okay, well, hang on. I'm just to prophesy. Really? Can you not just be not weird and just do stuff for God? Or do you got to be weird about everything to try to convince us that this is God? I mean, can you just talk? When you, when you give a word of the Lord, I mean, how about just doing it in regular English, not like King James? Thou, thine, you know. I mean, it's okay. I'm not going to get mad with you, but I don't think God speaks in you know, 16th century King James Version language. And there's nothing wrong with it. Please don't understand. Misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm just saying, just be normal. Now, if you talk every day in King James, thou and thine, would thine like to go with thee to the... To the well, you know, give us a word like that. But if you don't talk like that, just say, I believe the Lord is saying this. And give it to us in English. One time, and let's see what we. <laughs> what time? All I'm saying is when, th th this is my heart. If I, I mean, I, I know for a fact that God speaks through us to people. And when, all I'm saying is, th this message that God has put in Christ and delivered to us of his grace and love and forgiveness. So important for so many people because they just don't know it, guys. They don't. And when you can look at them, and in spite of their circumstances that you see them in, observe them, and you can't, you know, you can't, I mean, you got eyes. You, you're going to see. You, you're you're going to see. But don't let that be, don't look for clues. Eli was just looking for an outward clue to speak to her. I know a lot of people that claim to be prophetic. That's what they do. They look for outward clues. Boy, you're going to really mess it up, and you're going to mess people up. 
I remember over the years, I've been doing this a long time, you know, preaching 34 years, pastoring 27, but I, I, I've been in, in, in other churches, and, and it seems like the prophetic works best when I don't know anybody. And I'm able just to, you know, if I, if, I, if I sense God has something to say that will edify, build up, and encourage. I remember I was in one church, and I looked at this guy, and uh, I just said that, I, I, you know, I, I see you as such a godly man, godly minstrel before the Lord, a worshiper of God. And I could just feel it like, like oh, man, he missed that. I could feel it. And uh, and I was, you know, but but that's what I saw in God's, you know, that's how, what God saw when he looked at that guy. Now, at the present, that guy had been backslidden for over 10 years. He was playing in the bars and chasing everything in a skirt, and the whole town knew it. Prior to that, 10 years previous, he was a worship leader in a church in that city. So he made, you know, he had a big fall. They called it fall from grace. That's not what the Bible defines as fall from grace. The Bible says fall from grace is when you try to get your righteousness from God achieved by obeying the law. That's when you've fallen from grace. Because grace is a high and lofty position in Jesus. And anything less than that is low, I'm telling you. And so when I said that, I remember they was like, you know, you just feel like, you know. But see, you got to understand that when you look at a person, and what I do a lot of times is just in my heart, I, I just say, God, you know, God, what do you see? When you, when you look at this person, Father, Father, what, what? Please show me, what do you see? And and allow me to address that this in them. Allow me to speak to what's precious deep inside, and let that rise up, and let that let that rise out. So what do you see? So there's been times before where. Where I was in a church and, and, and called and felt like I was supposed to minister to this guy. And I can't I can't explain all this, but I, I just said I, I I see I see such a gentle man, a gentle giant. You could just feel it like somebody opened the refrigerator door, you know. Man. And that guy that guy was being counseled by the elders. He was physically abusive to his wife, and that was his present circumstance. And yet he had came to the meeting. I see a gentle man. He's anything but gentle. And what the people that don't understand what I'm preaching about this morning think, they think that's just, you missed it. Listen, God didn't say you would be an echo of, of, the, of the, you know, Captain Obvious. God don't need somebody to stand there and say, you're a violent man, you beating your, you know, I mean, he already knows he's doing all that. But he needed somebody to speak to, the, to what God saw in him. And God said, I don't care what you're going through and all this hell's going on, but what I see, God says, is I see a gentle man in there. And I'm going to speak and call that gentle man forth. And I want that gentle man to get out all that flesh and put that aside and stand up and be the man I've called you to be. Be that woman of God that I've called you to be. Be that person that I've called you to be. And, 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 and that's God's heart with this. And I'm telling you, if, if you and I, just, 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 just believers in Christ, if we would just inside, just steal that, all that stuff and stop looking for clues and just say, Father, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to, you know, she's acting like she's drunk, but I'm, that's what Eli did. He was looking for clues. Don't be like Samuel even. Well, this has got to be the guy right here. I mean, he's head and shoulders above everybody else. He's got to be the guy. He's got to be the guy. And God says, no, he's not the guy. Don't go by outward appearance. 
There's people that we've run into, you think that they're poor as dirt and they're millionaires. But you look at what they drive and what they wear, you know, they just ain't dumb. They just got all their money banked up or something. You know what I'm saying? You can't go by that. I remember this one guy one time, this wasn't happened to me, a guy came to church and, and on the way to church he had had a flat tire. And so he sold his clothes, changing the tire, got stuff on his face, done his best to get in, in there and, 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 and wash up. And, uh, but he got in this uh, meeting, and then the next thing you know, that there was a, a visiting prophet, and he's, he's prophesying the guys like a street person. The guy was a millionaire. He just had a flat tire on the way to church. But he was looking at his outward and a little dirt on his face. Thought he climbed out from under a bridge somewhere. No, he just didn't want to miss the meeting. Cleaned up as best he could. You want to hear another one? I'm not making these up. These are true. A lady's going to church in a city. Wouldn't it happen to me? In a city, she's standing by the curb. It's rained like it's been. The car comes by, splashes water up on her dress. The water wasn't, you know, pristine clean, so it messed up that lightly colored dress. She didn't want to miss the meeting. In her automobile, she'd picked up stuff from the cleaners, and she had a dress from one of her daughter's dresses, and they were almost the same size. Daughter was a little smaller than her, but she chose to go into the restroom at the church, change into one of her daughter's dresses, which was a little bit small for her, and yet still be, make the meeting. And a person calls her out and speaks to her as if she's a harlot. Why? Because they did like Eli. They looked for clues. They judged a person by what they saw. They didn't know the story. Everybody in here has got a story. Every person you meet has got a story. And you don't know their story just by looking at what they're wearing or what they're going. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know. And, I, and I'm just saying, if God's helping us at all, and if God wants us, he said, you may all prophesy. And if God wants us to speak to men for their comfort, for their edification, and, and, and for their uh, uh, encouragement, if, God want, if God's behind that, then God's going to help us. And if we'll just say, Father, what do you see? You know that person on your job that's on your last nerve that you like want to hurt them? <laughs> but how about just doing this? Just saying a prayer, not in front of them. Father, when you look at that person, because everything I can see gets on my nerves. But what do you see when you look at them? And, and 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 let me speak towards that. You know your kids that are giving you, you know, he double toothpicks at the house won't do their homework, won't clean their room, won't, you know, they're like the Canaanites, Hivites, Jebusites. These are the ones that won't do right, cause a fight, stay up all night. Okay. But instead of just rebuking your kid and calling out the obvious and speaking to them and affirming, you know, you're going to end up in prison. I, you know, all that kind of stuff, don't do that. Ask your father, Father, what do you see when you look at my kid? Let me speak to that royalty that's in them. Let me speak to that pearl that's in them. Let, instead of calling them out on their behavior, let me call them up to their destiny. Father, let me speak to that purpose that you have in their life. Let me speak towards that. And, and I'm not going to address the obvious because they know it. I'm, not gonna, I'm tired of yelling and I'm tired of screaming because that's not changing them anyway. I'm just going to speak into that that you see in them and, and reveal that to me. 
And I'm telling you, if, if we would just do this, guys, I'm talking about in the building, out of the building called church, on the job, wherever you have an opportunity where, the, where there's a stillness enough. Now, now, listen to me. Some of you, this is not a rebuke. Okay, I love you. Come on now. Some of you have gone seven days since I saw you last, and you've not had one meaningful conversation with the Lord since I saw you last. Not one. You've not even taken the time this week to have just one meaning, meaningful talk. I, I didn't say you hadn't talked to him. I know on the way to work, driving, I, oh, Lord, help me today. I'm mean, all that. And that's cool, and that's, 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 that's allowed. But I'm talking about when God becomes so precious that you go, you know what? I'm going to set aside this hour. I'm going to do the unthinkable. I'm going to shut and power down my iPhone. I mean, what will the world do if they can't locate me? The GPS goes dark. What we're, we're, and just, just, just set aside some time, and just say, "I'm going to set aside thirty minutes." Or, I'm, "Lord, I, God, I'm just going to hang out with you for an hour. No pressure. I'm not here to, you know, bombard you with a Christmas list of requests. I, I just want to, I just want to be still and know God. Not because you convince me I'm saved. I know. I just want to hang out with you." Hey, and if you want to say anything, you know I'm dialed in. I'm I'm listening as best and, and help my hearing, okay? But I'm I'm here, and uh, I just want to read your word, and, and maybe just a little worship might come out of my heart towards you, and I just sing you a love song, man, and just I just want to hang out with you a little bit, and just spend time with you, and I just want you to know that that you mean something to me in my life, and I want you to speak to that that's on the inside of me, and and and. And when you look at me, Father, some of you have been so beat up and beat down by the world. If you could just say, Father, when you look at me, when you look in my heart, what, what do you see? Would you reveal that to me? Because, man, I've been so beat up, I'm not even sure that I can even, I don't even know no more myself. But could you just kind of reveal to me what you see when you look at me? And just see what happens. I'm telling you to change the world. Some of you just need to just, just slow it down now. Just slow it down. Spend some time. I'm not doing no religion thing. I'm not at 7 o'clock every day at 5. I'm not, none of that. Knock all that off. You know, I'm, I'm going to set my clock every morning at 6 o'clock, you know, and I'm going to kiss you. No, no. That's, that's, that's robot. That's mechanical. God's a real person. Just... just you know, that's why I don't, I don't really play the puppet string. I mean, I, I'm not saying that you don't exhort people because sometimes we just need air movement, but that's why we're not into a lot. Lift your hands and praise the Lord. Say hallelujah, hallelujah. Put them hands, you know. I mean, you know, it, it's kind of like, that's like a aerobics class. I mean, it gets the air moving, and you feel like you worship because you had your arms up because they said to put them up. And, and, I, and listen, I'm balanced with it. I'm not saying that you should never do that. Sometimes I want to tell you, lift your hands, praise the Lord, just see if you're still alive. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I, it'd be like you saying, you know, kiss your wife. Give her a hug. Come on now. Give her a hug real good, dear. Well, she's hearing all that, man. She ain't, I mean, she's, you know, she's, but it, is, it ain't doing the same thing if I do it spontaneously. Out of a heart of adoration and love. That's what I'm saying. I, I want you to see God as a real person. He, he 
you know, God's not, you know, like, I got to get my fix. You know, y'all give me some praise up. And I mean, it's not that. You're the one, and I the one that benefits from praising the Lord. We're the ones that benefit from that. And so, God, I've seen God do so many amazing things where he's encouraging, building up, and comforting people going through tough stuff. Uh, sometimes people push the prophetic to the point and they'll go, well, where's that at in the New Testament? Well, you, you see God speaking to people and speaking through people to people. You see Jesus walking into a place, into a synagogue, uh, to a temple, and, and he, he, he said there's a man here with a withered hand, and he, he identifies that man, and he tells that man to stand up. Y'all remember that? Now, nobody knows this man has a withered hand, and Jesus didn't say, hey, you got a withered hand that you're hiding from all of us. Jesus didn't call him out like that. But Jesus just tells him when he stands up, he says, stretch forth your hand, which is not a bad commandment to receive. But see, when the guy went to stretch forth his hand, he had to, he had to reveal that he had a withered hand. Which in, and in our culture, we don't understand the Jewish culture of temple and all that, but you could not come into that temple if you was halt, blind, lame, or had any kind of problem like that. It, physically, they didn't allow you to come to church. Isn't that something? That's why you would always see them at the gate called beautiful. Remember at the man called... Uh, the, the, you know, at the gate called beautiful. The reason it's called beautiful because the gate really ain't beautiful unless everybody can come in. But once that man got his healing, when Peter and John went into that gate, remember, and he's there begging for alms for them, money, and they said, silver and gold have our number, such as we have, we give to you in the name of Jesus, stand up, you know. And so then it, the Bible changes, and it says it's not, the man was not laid at the gate called beautiful. He says now, then it changes. You'd have to read these little nuances. It says the gate that is, the gate beautiful. It just says the gate beautiful. Because that's when it's beautiful to God. When there's no more crippled and lame people in our churches. When it, when they're, and, and when they're not kept out because of their circumstances or because of their addiction or because of their situation. When they're allowed to come in and we don't care that it might not look as pretty, you know. And so when Jesus looks at the guy, he says, stand forth. And the guy stands up and he says, stretch forth your hand. And he pulls that hand out. And he stretched it out, and it became whole. See, all that withering, wither means it's slowly dying. If your marriage is withering, don't hide it because it's not going to get better being hid. But stretch forth where? To God. I, I was This past week, and I was saying something again, and I was reading this again, and I know it's so familiar, and I'm closing with this with David. And so David gets anointed king, and Soon after that, he goes out, and he sees, his dad sends him with some sandwiches to his brothers who's in the army. They're all cowering, hiding from this big giant, Goliath, this Philistine, and he's marching out there, you know, and he's like, send me a man, you know, and, you know, we'll do this like Imano, Imano, you know what I'm saying? So we, all y'all ain't got to get dirty, you know, and soil your uniform. Just send me one guy, and if that guy whoops me, then we'll all the Philistines surrender to Israel. But if I whip that Israelite, then y'all all surrender to us. How about that? And they're like, yes, but who's going to fight for us? And David hears all this, and David said, is there not a cause? And he says, now I'll go face this guy. And they're like, you're going to, and listen, this is a statement that most of us miss. David's, listen, David said, who is, now David's been hearing the guy run his mouth. David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he would defy the armies of God. David said, hand me my slingshot. 
I'll go out there and face him. And we miss it because we religiousize the story. Why is David bringing up the fact that this guy hadn't been circumcised? Now, let's keep it at adult level here, but just think about this. David calls out, he says, why is this uncircumcised Philistine? And I was like, man, why you won't be talking about bring that up? No matter if I'm circumcised or not. Yes, it does. Because God told Abraham, this will shall be the sign of the covenant that you shall be circumcised. You understand? It was an outward sign of an inward sign of the covenant. I don't know if you'd follow me. Listen, David said, I've already won this. Why? Because I have a covenant with God. This guy has already lost the fight because he does not have a covenant with Yahweh God. He is an uncircumcised. It don't matter how you fill in the blank. Philistine, Amorite, it don't matter. But he doesn't have a covenant. I have a covenant. He don't have a covenant. I win because I'm in covenant with God. Now, what do we have? Jesus made a covenant with God in regard to you. You are not uncircumcised. You are circumcised. You have a covenant with God. Therefore, whatever giant comes out to defy you, to come out against you, you win because you're in covenant. You have a covenant. You didn't make the covenant, but you benefit from the covenant. Jesus made the covenant on our behalf so that we couldn't mess it up. And then you benefit it, but you didn't make it. Because if you made it, you could mess it up. You didn't make it. It's, it's the covenants between God and God. The Bible calls it two immutable things. When God couldn't trust in anything else, he could trust in himself. And God cannot deny himself. And he made a covenant with himself in regard to you. And God said, if any of you will put your faith in that covenant that I made on your behalf, any giant that ever takes that field that comes your way, just know you stand there. It ain't about your slingshot. It ain't how big or small he is. And it ain't about what either one of you really say other than you come against me with sword and spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord because I'm in covenant with him. And that's what the difference is. That's what the difference in our life is. Amen? I want you to stand with me. I just wonder if I can get some of my elders and wives up as we do every Sunday. You know, there's people that are standing close to you. There's, I know some of you are standing by your spouse. Some of you are standing by friends. Some of you may be sitting close or standing by somebody you don't even know. I wonder if you just said, you know, to yourself, you know, just have a person in mind to your left or right and say, you know, Father, uh, and, and I'm not saying it doesn't work on your spouse. Sometimes there are things goes on in your life, your spouse's life, friend's life, and we can see the obvious. And sometimes we know so much, and sometimes I think we know too much, that it actually hinders us in our faith ability to speak to that that's precious on the inside of us. But if you just said this morning, Father, you know, this person standing on my, on my right or left, you know, when you look at them, what do you see? And, and I would just say to you that if something, when you if, if you if you ask that here in the next five, ten seconds, if you ask that and something comes to your heart that is encouraging, 
that is comforting, that builds them up, then you have my permission, and hopefully theirs, to just speak that to them. You say, it might be something as simple as, I see a gentle person, or I see, uh, I mean, I even see some of you, even on, even in this section. Some, there's a woman, and you, you feel like you're this, uh, so many things have happened, but you're a good mom. You hear me? You're, you're, and I'm not saying you're, and you see right there, when I said it, you thought, well, I don't even have kids at home. I know. Because they're already gone now. And you thought you blew it. And you so wish you could go back. And a lot of us, you know, if we could kind of do that thing, man, we would all do it different and better, wouldn't we? I would. I'd, I'd sign up for that, but you can't. But I want to tell you, you're a good mom. You know why? Because God's made you so. And I know you don't think about it, but those kids that are out and gone now and grown, but they're still watching you. And they're still listening to you. And you're a good mom because you know what you've done? You've put yourself in the house of God and you've put yourself in, in the... And, and you know what? And I want to promise you, I know they ain't acting like it. They're going to follow you right on into the kingdom. They're going to follow you right on into the kingdom. You're not even sitting in this first section. You're sitting in the very back section. You got me? I love you. It's the truth. It's pretty specific. Father, when you look at each of us, when you look at these people, what do you see? I pray that you would open our eyes to see the royalty, the kingliness, the priesthood, the peculiar priesthood of a new generation, a peculiar people, different. Set aside, set apart by covenant, gifted by righteousness from you. Saved by your blood, washed, cleansed by your sacrifice. Our faith is in what we can't see, and that's in you. We can't see you, but we know you're here. We know you're with us. We know you're in us. We know you're for us. And no matter how big our sin looks to us today, help us to see that your grace is much more powerful than anything that sin could bring because of the covenant, because of the promise. We give you praise and glory and honor for it in the mighty name of Jesus. Now, I, I just want you to, I, I know we don't ever do that, and it can make some people nervous, but it has to meet those three criteria. But I want you to do that right now. If there's somebody, hey, and if you don't want to do it, that's cool too, man. They, this, this is just freely volunteer. But if you're standing near someone and you, you kind of feel, just say, Father, when you look at this person that's standing near me, you can know them or not. Father, reveal to me what you see when you look at them. Pray, don't you do that right now. Just, just say that prayer. Father, what do you see when you look at this person? And then I'm going to give you 30 seconds, 15 seconds maybe. Just, just, just lean over and just whisper it in their ear. Just say it to them. 
Just look at them and tell them, this is, you know, he's saying that. This is what I see. This is what I feel that God sees. And just speak. Could be one word. Could be a sentence. But just say, just speak that to them. Just speak it to them. Just do it. Give them just a second. If people's doing it, yeah, just tell them. That's right. Tell them what you see. I think it's so cool that a lot of you are doing that. Just tell them what you see. Some of you spouses need to tell your husband and wife what you see when you look at them. Speak to that in them. Speak to that royalty, that kingship. Amen. Okay. I want to make you too nervous. Look at me. Thank you for participating this morning. But do that wherever you go this week. Of course, always invite people, man. Do you you believe anything good comes out? Is there the message coming from this place? Is it any good to people? I mean, is it helping them? Then let's, 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 let's invite them. Share it on Facebook like Pastor Adam says. We've got so many people that's just picking up and picking up, and they're, 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 they're listening, they're watching, and I'm so thankful for that. But how about with your, with your clapping, let them know that it's actually better in the building than it is on Facebook. Come on, would you let them? Come on, let them know. I mean, we love them watching, man. We love them watching on Facebook. But... uh. Hey, I look better in live than I do on. Be here in person, man. Invite somebody. Bring somebody with you, okay? I'm going to dismiss you. Hey, if you want prayer and if we can pray with you, it's our honor. We'd be honored and, and, and love to do so. If not, you're dismissed. God bless you, Grace Point. We love you. So shake hands. <laughs>